Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at GodSolutionShow.com. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers to humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm glad that you're tuned back in. Well, for the first time in a long time, I'm doing the show alone without Grant. You should definitely tune back in next week, because Grant will be on interviewing Dr. Collins about some archaeological wonders. It'll be incredible to hear some of the archaeological evidence for what we believe, so don't miss next week's show. This week, I thought we'd also dive into some archaeology. I haven't done a whole lot of that on the show. I think a few years ago, I did a short show on that topic, but obviously, as Christians, we believe in a Bible that is historically accurate, and as a historically accurate record, we would expect to find archaeological evidence for what we read in Scripture. Now, there is tremendous archaeological evidence for the things that we read in both the Old and New Testaments. We could never go through all of it in one show. We couldn't go through all of it in one year. But we are going to take one show today to kind of highlight some big finds that show the accuracy of Scripture and the reliability of both the Old and New Testaments. Now, as I begin talking about the archaeological accuracy of Scripture, I just have to come back to Jesus because I think that's where our faith begins, with Jesus. Jesus often quoted the Old Testament, and he referred to things in the Old Testament as historical facts. You could see that in Matthew 8, 11, 10, 15, 12, 39 through 40, 24, 15, 37 through 39, Luke 11, 51, 17, 28 through 32, John 3, 14, 6, 31, 8, 56 through 58, on and on and on. Jesus himself affirmed the historical accuracy of the Old Testament. When we read the Old Testament, we're not just reading myths, we're not just reading stories, we're reading history. Now, I want to make a little note here because, of course, the skeptic's going to say, what about the fantastical stories in the Old Testament? What about a global flood? What about a talking donkey? What about a man being swallowed by a great fish? What about the Red Sea splitting so that the Israelites could walk through? How could you believe that is historical? Well, I want to challenge the skeptic there and say, first of all, they're assuming metaphysical naturalism. They are assuming that we live in a natural universe where there is no supernatural dimension, where there is no God that can interact with people in time and history on a physical planet however he chooses. As a Christian, I believe that there is just such a God, and that that God who created everything in this universe is capable of interacting with us however he wants. If he chooses to speak through a speaking donkey, that's his prerogative as the God and creator of the entire universe. Now, as a Christian, (laughs) I don't believe, and nobody in this audience probably believes, that talking donkeys or... (laughs) seas splitting down the middle, or worldwide floods are common events. Of course, we don't think those things are typical or that we would expect to see them on a frequent basis. That would be crazy. What we do believe is that there is a God 
who created everything, who can do miraculous things, and he still does today. You should read Dr. Craig Keener's book, Miracles, incredible two-volume expose on naturalism. So uh, definitely check that out. But the reality is, is when we look at the Old Testament, we do see some incredible stories, and they don't look like the types of things that happen on the earth very often. That's okay. We believe in a miraculous, supernatural God that can do those types of things. That being said, those miracles don't in any way invalidate the historicity of the Old or New Testaments. It's only a presupposition, a bias of naturalism that would do that. And that bias of naturalism is unsustainable. So let's look at some of the history and the archaeology that shows that what we're reading in Scripture is actually historically accurate. So as we jump into this, I want to make a quick note. You might have heard the quote that an absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. I totally affirm that quote. It's absolutely true. Just because we haven't found evidence of something doesn't mean that that something is not true. For example, many times people say you cannot believe that the Exodus actually happened because there's no archaeological evidence for the Exodus, they'll say. Well, even if they were right, the absence of evidence, as it's been said, is not evidence of absence. It would only mean that we haven't been able to find that evidence up until today. However, they are wrong that there's no evidence for the Exodus. A great documentary that exposed that truth, that there is evidence for the Exodus, was the documentary Patterns of Evidence. I would encourage you to check it out. And the reality is that if we realize the timeline in the Bible, instead of just assuming an Egyptian timeline, the evidence lines up quite nicely. Anyway, there are things in the Old and New Testaments for which there is not archaeological evidence. That's okay. We just haven't found it yet. I'm not saying that we have comprehensive archaeological evidence for everything in Scripture. I mean, we don't have comprehensive archaeological evidence for everything in my life. <laughs> it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. The reality is that even when we don't have all the evidence, that doesn't mean that the things we're talking about didn't happen. What we do need to do is we need to look at the evidence that we do have and see if the big picture, if the evidence that's out there supports the historicity of what we read in Scripture. And that is an absolute positive thing. It is without a doubt true that the evidence, archaeologically speaking, for the Old and New Testaments is absolutely certain. We're going to dive into some of it right now. There are many different fascinating examples of this. A professor at Purdue University, Lawrence McTeek, highlights the following 50 people listed in the Old Testament who have been confirmed by archaeology. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read through the Old Testament, I might look at some different names and think, are you kidding me? Is that really a real person, or did they just make up that name? That's my natural, human, doubting, fle carnal, fleshly, unsaved personality coming out. Thank God he saved me. But when I read a name like Gemariah, or Jehukal, or Pashur, or Gedadiah, I might think, did they just make up that name, or is it actually real? 
Well, you can know with certainty that it's actually real. So again, Professor Miktiuk highlights these 50 people that archaeology has confirmed. And all 50 were in the Old Testament. Excuse me if I mispronounce any of these names. Shishak, So, Terhaka, Nico II, Hophra, Misha, Hadedazar, Ben-Hadad, son of Hadedazar, Hazel, Ben-Hadad, son of Hazel, Rezin, Omri, Ahab, Jehu, Joash, Jeroboam II, Manahem, Pekah, Hoshea, Sanbalat, King David, Uzziah, Azariah, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Hilkiah, Shaphan, Azariah, Jemariah, Jehoiachin, Shelemiah, Jehukal, Pasher, Gedediah, Tiglath-Pilser III, Shalmanasser, Sargon II, Sennacherib, Adramelech, Asrahaddon, Merodach-Baladon, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebo-Sarsakim, Evil-Merodach, Belshazzar, son and co-regent of Nabonidus, Cyrus the Great, Darius the Great, Xerxes, Artaxerxes, Darius II. Those are just 50 of the people described in the Old Testament that archaeology has confirmed. That is quite a statement coming from a secular university. And the reality is there are many more than those. Those are just 50 that he chose to highlight. One that was uncovered even just last year, I'll talk about it more in the show today, is Ahimaaz, one of Solomon's 12 deputies. And Ahimaaz is another person confirmed through archaeology. And again, there are many more. We'll talk about some today. There are others. I just wanted to highlight those 50 that came out in a paper from Purdue University. The Temple Mount Sifting Project has found bula. These are the clay imprints of the seals of different governors, kings, regents, and people in authority. Now, those clay imprints sealed things like letters and packages and things like that. And they are finding these bulli all over the place in the ancient world. We'll talk about some prominent bulli and seals later on today. But the Temple Mount Sifting Project has found bulli that mention 19 biblical cities. Now, again, these are not the only biblical cities that have been confirmed through archaeology. There are many, many more. In fact, you can visit many of them today. I've been to Jerusalem and to other places in the Holy Land. I've been to Athens, of course, mentioned in the New Testament, and to other places in that region that Paul visited, like Berea and Thessalonica. I've been to some of those places. Those aren't even mentioned here, of course, because we're talking about different Israelite towns and cities that go back to biblical times. So here are just 19 that the Temple Mount Sifting Project has found. Now again, excuse my mispronunciation if I happen to mispronounce any of these. Uh, some of these 19 include El Tolad, Lachish, Nezib, Arab, Kaila, Gebim, Maon, Jagger, Gath, Bethul, Afeka, Gibeah, Adulam, Zanaim, Soka, Gibeon, Zerah, Adoraim, and Ziph. Again, just a few cities that the Temple Mount Sifting Project has archaeologically confirmed. And of course, like I said, there are many more. So when we look at the Old and New Testaments, we are looking at actual people and actual cities and actual events. 
This is absolutely on the opposite end of the spectrum from things like the Book of Mormon that talk about people that never existed, cities that never existed, tribes that never existed, languages that never existed on this continent, battles that never happened on this continent, etc. When you talk to someone like that, they have to accept it all through blind belief in spite of the evidence. As a Christian, you can know if you read it in your Bible, it's actually historically true. Now, I talked about some names and some cities that archaeology has confirmed. I want to get into some specific examples of archaeological finds that have corroborated what we read in Scripture. The first one that I want to mention is the Dead Sea Scrolls. These were found in the 1940s, and they demonstrated the textual integrity of the Old Testament. This was quite incredible because before this time, the oldest Hebrew text of the Old Testament dated to about a thousand years after Christ. And so there were not Hebrew manuscripts going back much more than a thousand years ago or a thousand years after Christ. The Dead Sea Scrolls took that more than a thousand years back to before the time of Christ, and they corroborated the textual integrity of the Old Testament. Incredible, incredible find. Arguably the greatest archaeological find in history. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the 40s in 11 caves in Qumran, right near the Dead Sea. I've been there. And just recently, we interviewed Craig Evans about a 12th Qumran cave that was just found a couple months ago. Now, this cave had been looted by Bedouin shepherds in the 50s, and so they did not find new scrolls. They did find some of the vases that they were held in and things like that. And many of those scrolls have been purchased on the black market. So now they know where they came from, this 12th Qumran cave. But the fascinating thing is there's reason to believe that there are other caves that have actual scrolls in them. Two of those are going to be investigated later this year in November. And we hope to find even more scrolls going back to before the time of Christ, near the Dead Sea. All right, so the Dead Sea Scrolls, an incredible archaeological find that confirms the reliability of the Old Testament. Now, for years, many people would say that King David was a myth. I remember watching documentaries that said King David is just a myth. He's all the best attributes rolled up into one guy. They just fantasized about what they wanted in a king and put it into a story. And I remember hearing that and thinking, are you kidding me? Why would they talk about him committing adultery and murder? Why would they basically call him the worst father in the entire Bible? Maybe you could make a case that there are others worse than him, but he wasn't a great father. Why would they include that in a myth? So obviously uh, the, the uh, accusation that David wasn't a historical figure was very biased from the start. But the Tel Dan inscription confirmed historically that David was an actual leader, an actual person in antiquity. And since the Tel Dan inscription was found, two other historical references to David have been as well. So the historical authenticity of David is confirmed. The Merneptah Stella is the earliest reference to Israel in the ancient world. It confirms Israel's presence and the time frame that they were in 
Canaan. This is an incredible Egyptian document in stone that corroborates what the Bible says about Israel in Canaan. There is a similar artifact uh, from the Moabite people, and this is the Moabite stone. The Moabite stone confirms Israel's place in the ancient world along with its interactions with Moab. So both from the Egyptian side and the Moabite side, we have archaeological evidence for the things and the times and the places that Israel was when Scripture described them, leaving Egypt, entering the Promised Land, etc. The Kedef Hinnom amulet scrolls are two silver scrolls that were found that include God's name Yahweh, and that's significant because these date to about 400 uh, years before Christ, something like that, 300 and something years before Christ, and they show that Yahweh was worshipped in Israel, that the accusation that the Yahweh's cult only rewrote Yahweh into the Old Testament manuscripts after the exile is false. In other words, we can be confident that the Old Testament that we have that talks about Yahweh God throughout is the Old Testament that was there before the exile. There was no Yahweh's cult that just wrote it in after the fact. Of course, there are reasons not to believe that Yahweh's cult accusation because if they were just purging the non-Yahwehist aspects of the Old Testament after the exile, why would they leave all the examples of Israel's idolatry? Well, we know that the argument against Yahweh in the Old Testament is wrong, and the Kedef Hinnom amulet scrolls go on to prove that. Beyond that, though, they include portions of different Old Testament books, including Numbers 6.24-26. through 26. The amulet scrolls, the Kedef Hinnom amulet scrolls, support the validity of the Old Testament. Okay, I'm going to tell you one that's a little bit controversial, but before that I want to let you know, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Today we're talking about some of the archaeological evidence for the historical reliability of both the Old and New Testaments. I said we're going to talk about one that's a little controversial, and that's Baruch's Bula. Baruch was Jeremiah's scribe, and we actually have two of his bulai, the clay imprints of his seal. This is absolutely fascinating. One actually has a fingerprint across the back of it, which leaves you to wonder whether that is Baruch's actual fingerprint. Unbelievable. Now, there was a study recently that said that Baruch's bulai were likely forgeries. So take it or leave it. You could say that this is an incredible find, or you might believe that it's possible they're a forgery. I'll let you determine what you think about the Baruch bulai. I just wanted to mention, though, that they, if accurate, are an incredible historical find. Next, like I mentioned earlier, just this past year, they found Ahimaaz's bulla. Now, Ahimaaz is an obscure official mentioned only twice or three times in the Old Testament, and he was one of Solomon's 12 deputies. So this doesn't just confirm Ahimaaz, but it really surely confirms Solomon and the historical account of Ahimaaz in Scripture unbelievable find. Another bulla that's incredible is the Hezekiah bulla. This is the bulla of the biblical king Hezekiah from his actual seal. That has also been found in antiquity. Now, 
other confirmation of Hezekiah is Hezekiah's tunnel, which exists to this day in Jerusalem. You can visit it. This tunnel was built by Hezekiah to bring water into Jerusalem. That's described in 2 Kings 20.20, and it still exists today, including an inscription that describes how the workers came from two different sides and met each other in the middle. Incredible archaeological find. Now let's go back to a very prominent seal. This is the seal that would leave the imprint in a clay bulla, the rock seal, and archaeologists have found the seal of King Ahab's evil queen, Jezebel. So Jezebel's seal is another archaeological find that is really, truly quite interesting. One that I also enjoy is King Uzziah's burial plaque. Now, remember King Uzziah? He was king during the time of Amos. And remember Isaiah even says, in the year when King Uzziah died in Isaiah 6, it talks about this, there is a burial plaque that bears King Uzziah's name that's been found. It's not certain that that burial plaque exists where Uzziah was buried. Obviously, the plaque could have been moved. The body could have been moved. A lot happened in the area around Jerusalem after the time of Uzziah's death. But what's absolutely fascinating is that the burial plaque of King Uzziah has been found. Pretty exciting stuff. Another very, very exciting find is the House of Yahweh Ostracon from the 6th century BCE. This references Yahweh, so again, this totally dismantles the Yahwehist cult accusation, and it also mentions Solomon's temple. What an incredible, incredible find that corroborates the Old Testament, that corroborates Yahweh in the Old Testament going back way before the exile, and that even corroborates the existence of Solomon's temple. I'm just telling you some of the archaeological finds that have corroborated the reliability of Scripture in the past. I'm going to move on to a few New Testament ones. We've talked predominantly about Old Testament ones. I promised you that we would talk about a few New Testament ones. We don't have a ton of time, so I better get to it pretty quickly here. The ossuary of Caiaphas is the bone box that belonged to Caiaphas, the high priest who judged Jesus, and that's been found. That's fascinating. Confirmation of the historical reliability of the New Testament, the story of Jesus' death, his crucifixion, and even his resurrection, and the actual existence of the high priest Caiaphas. Now, another ossuary has caused a lot of a lot of different opinions and a lot of argument and a lot of different positions, and that's the ossuary of James. Now, many people have claimed that this is a forgery because it is so incredible that it's almost unbelievable. This ossuary, another bone box, says James, the son of Joseph, the brother of Jesus. What an incredible find that corroborates the New Testament accounts, the historical reliability of what the gospel says, the historical reliability of James, the brother of Jesus, and, of course, the existence of Jesus, too. Now, no one in their right mind denies the historicity of Jesus Christ. Even the biggest skeptics alive say that if you doubt the historicity of Jesus, you're crazy. In fact, the biggest critic alive says that if you doubt the historicity of Jesus, you're a mythicist. So the historicity of the life, death, and uh, 
career, if you want to call it that, the miracles, the ministry of Jesus goes without question. The historical reliability of the resurrection goes without question. It's irrefutable today. The only way to refute the evidence for the resurrection is to presuppose metaphysical naturalism, which that same critic I just referenced does. So this ossuary of James is another evidence for the reliability of what we read in Scripture. Now, this has been called a forgery for many, many years. No legit paleographer has called it that, and world-renowned paleographer Ada Yardeni famously quipped, if this is a forgery, I quit. In other words, we shouldn't believe so quickly that the ossuary of James is a forgery. So take it or leave it. I take it. If you want to leave it, that's fine. But it is incredible evidence if it's true, and I think there's good reason to believe that it is. A recent discovery, the Pontius Pilate inscription, confirmed the biblical account of Pilate, his title, and the time and the location in which he served. Unbelievable. Now, here's one that I want to share, and this doesn't really confirm anything, but it is quite exciting. The Sea of Galilee boat was a fishing boat that was pulled up from the, the bottom of the Sea of Galilee that sunk in the first century, and it was restored and put back together, and now it's housed in a humidity-controlled building. I've been there. I've seen it with my own eyes. And what's fascinating about this find is it's a fishing boat that was on the Sea of Galilee the same time Jesus was there in Galilee. And you can't help but wonder whether this was a boat that Jesus preached from, whether this was the boat, maybe, that Jesus calmed the storm from. It's impossible to know for sure, but it's obviously a question that you can't help but ask. And as I was out on the Sea of Galilee in a boat, having just seen this boat the same day, I couldn't help but wonder whether that was the boat that Jesus had sailed across the Sea of Galilee in when he calmed the storm. All right, those are just a few notable examples. I want to let you know that the historical reliability of Acts is another famous example of the New Testament's historical reliability. You should check out Dr. Craig Keener's four-volume commentary on Acts for more on that, or just go to some of the interviews we've done with him about the historical reliability of Acts. You might also check out Dr. Richard Bauckham's book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, next month. The 10th anniversary edition of that book comes out with three new chapters. You could also check out our interview with him about that book uh, that he wrote about 10 years ago. So Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, and he demonstrates that many of the things that we read in the New Testament Gospels have features of eyewitness testimony. Again, you can believe that what you're reading in the New Testament is historically accurate. Wow, these are just a few of the archaeological discoveries that demonstrate the trustworthiness of Scripture. You could go on and on and on. There's so many more. Uh, one of the ones that I love that I didn't have time to talk about was the if you are papyrus that basically recounts five or six of the plagues of Egypt that are mentioned in Exodus. And this papyrus dates back to about a hundred years after the plagues of Egypt. The critics just go, oh, it's just poetry. It has nothing to do with Exodus. Of course not. <laughs> it just happens to mention five or six of the plagues that are mentioned in Exodus. You guys, we could go on and on and on and on and on about the archaeological reliability of both the Old and the New Testaments. 
But all of this points to a conclusion, and that is that we can actually believe that what we read in Scripture is actually true, that the accounts in both the Old and New Testaments are authentic, they're real, and they really did happen. My encouragement to you is to believe it, to accept it. Look, if you've never come to Jesus and put your faith in him before, why wait another day? You know that it's true. The Bible says that God loves you and that he created you to be in relationship with him. Unfortunately, because you are a sinner, and me too, relationship with God has been broken. God is perfect and he cannot be with imperfect sinful people in their sinful states. If there was nothing to compensate for that, we would look forward to an eternity apart from him in hell. Thankfully, God became a man, Jesus, God in human flesh. He died for my sins and yours. Only a perfect God could have done that for me and you. He died in our place. He rose again to give us new life so that anyone who believes in him would be saved. If you've never taken that step to put your faith in him, I encourage you to do it today. You could even begin that relationship with Christ right now. You could verbalize your faith through prayer, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Please come into my life as Savior and Lord and make me the kind of person that you want me to be. Well, thanks so much for listening today. Keep listening. Tune back in next week for Grant's interview with Dr. Collins about more archaeological evidence. You don't want to miss it. Go to GodSolutionShow.com, check out past interviews, make a donation to keep the show on the air, etc., and let your friends know about the show and keep listening. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at godsolutionshow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.